open my eyes to the heavens and count my blessings. I think of all my needs that were meant to be. Clothes on my back. A place to lie down tonight. Nothing miraculous or earth-shattering. Just the small things that help keep me going day after day. Thank you, God. I have food on my table. Help to get me through the day. Good memories I've shared. All the beauty that makes life special. Thank you, God. I'm blessed by what I can see and touch. What I can feel in the moment. But Lord, you transcend feelings and moments. You sacrificed your life so I could see beyond what's under my feet and over my head. <sighs> Thank you, God. That kind of love keeps my heart free. During seasons where peace is hard to come by, even when I can't see or touch a blessing, I know I can close my eyes and say, thank you, God. I, I've lost a lot this year. Things I worked hard for. Dreams I was sure were going to come true. People I never wanted to say goodbye to. I walked a hard path of trial. And pain and despair. But I never walked it alone. Even now, I can say thank you, God. Because no matter what is set before me, dark valleys or green pastures, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when this life is over, I'll dwell with you in your house forever. So I just want to stop and tell you. Thank you, God. 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 Today we're celebrating our fall in gathering, and Thanksgiving is just around the corner. Our church has celebrated falling gathering for as long as I have been a pastor here, and I think it's been something that our church has done for many, many years. Does anybody even remember the first fall in gathering celebration of this congregation? Does anybody remember? We've been celebrating this before the remembrance of anyone in our church. But what is Fall and Gathering, and why do we celebrate it? Sometimes when you celebrate something for longer than anybody can remember, you don't remember why you're celebrating it. Is this just an excuse to receive an extra offering today? I've got a bit of a problem with that, because, um, is there a picture on here somewhere? Got a, there it is. Sorry. I would go to church, but all they want is money. Now that is a real reason, probably one of the three top three reasons why people don't go to church. They think the church is all they ever want to do is take your money. So I was trying to discern from the Lord what he would have me say to you today, and it seemed obvious to me when I was planning this out a while back that I would just continue to preach on the Sermon on the Mount, that the Lord would not take that picture out of my mind. Is that all we're doing is just asking for money? Is that it? Is that all fall-in gathering is? Just an excuse to do an extra offering and to get maybe a meal? The Lord wouldn't let that out of my mind. And so today we're going to take a break. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to, as best as I know how, explain to you why we do fall-in gathering. Does that sound okay? Before you say yes. <laughs> this could get a little dry. I was surprised that the Lord had me go where we're going today. So if you do fall asleep, at least don't snore loudly. <laughs> That's what I'm asking. Is that fair to say? Let's pray. Lord God, it is my prayer that you would speak through your word. And even though we're going to be going through some of your word that we don't often go through today, I'm giving this to you. Lord, I believe that you have decided that we need to hear this today, which means it's going to have to be you, God. It's going to have to be you speaking. So, Lord, we give these few moments to you. Speak through your word. 
May we hear and understand and be changed. Well, okay, so I've been telling youth and release time students for 17 years one thing. I said it again this year to my sixth graders, okay? Mike, you were there. You heard me say it. Other sixth graders, is, where have we got one of my sixth graders? There's one. Uh, yeah, okay, so I've been saying, if I say a word that you don't know the definition to, raise your hand, okay? And I have been saying that for years and years and years, and the sixth graders are just starting to be bold enough to actually raise their hand if I say a word that they don't understand. Well, adults, you know that applies to you as well. Uh, if I say something that you don't understand, you're supposed to raise your hand. I give you permission during my messages to raise your hand. I actually prefer sermons are, that are more interactive. I even lost a bet and had to go camping for a week, I think, because I lost the bet because somebody actually raised their hand during a sermon. Yes, I know Christians aren't supposed to bet. This was a godly one. You can talk about that later. <laughs> All right. So, I like it when people raise their hand when they don't understand something because I want to go right there and explain what it is. But now, here's the thing. There are all kinds, of thing, all kinds of things we do in church on Sunday and during the week that we don't understand and we just keep on going like nothing happened. Think about it. Singing songs. I really, I've said this for years, don't sing a word to a song you don't know what it means. Okay? I've, I've encouraged Pastor Sarah to tell the worship team, if you don't know what the word hallelujah means, don't say it. Don't sing it. Don't sing a word you don't know what it means. But then that also means go get the definition to the word. Hallelujah in Hebrew. Hallelujah. It's a Hebrew word. Hallel. Praise. Yah. Short for Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. If you didn't know that, you shouldn't have been singing hallelujah up to this point. It is a Hebrew word. Most of you don't even know words you don't know. That's one of the problems we have. Okay? But hallelujah. Praise God. And, and words said. I actually did a whole sermon series not that long ago about churchy words. Like if you don't know what a word means, don't use the word and go find the definition to the word. We just talked about this in our Roman Sunday school class. Justification. That's a churchy word. People use the word justification like they just know what it means. Really? Because the word that is in Greek actually is not translatable into English. The English equivalent, closest would be, if you were in Sunday school, righteousized. Justification means righteousized. God righteousizes us. It's not an English word. That's what it means. There's another word we use all the time in our church that we don't actually know what it means. Narthex. I, I love it when new people come to our church. Just go get it in the narthex. And they're just like, get your, pick up your t-shirts in the narthex. Is that a, is that a, like, is it one of the bathroom stalls? <laughs> what exactly is a narthex? Right? A narthex was old churches way back, like, in the first 500 years of Christianity. The narthex was the colonnade where people entered. A narthex was the place where people entered, and they were, they were ushered into the presence of God by the majesty of the narthex. It's not just a place to have coffee and talk. It's supposed to be a place that ushers you into God's presence. The narthex. And then there's a whole category of things that we don't know the definition to. We call them events, or let me give you the better word, holiday. There's the English word, holidays. Why do we celebrate holidays? You know, most people just go through the motions with holidays. So, have you ever wondered, and I, it's, it's a little bit strange to me, like we all celebrate Halloween like it's no big deal. Almost all of us celebrate Halloween like it's no big deal. Okay? What is the roots of Halloween? Right? I'm not going to go into this. But they're not good, right? I mean, you're celebrating death and demonic stuff? Like, why are we doing that? So if you're going to 
send your kids out trick-or-treating, okay, at least make sure they understand that we're not worshiping Satan on that day. That might be a good thing to do. Now, I'm not saying you're that person if you trick-or-treat. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't do things and not explain them, right? Don't lead your family into things that you haven't talked to them about. So if you're going to go trick-or-treating, you know, you need to talk about the fact that Halloween is actually All Saints Day. Right? All Saints Day Eve. Halloween. Dresses Martin Luther, you could do that. Yeah, Happy, Re Happy Reformation Day. So then you don't say trick-or-treat, you say, I don't know what you would say. Uh, Catholics are wrong. I'm not sure what you would say. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, okay, now that's on tape. That's going to be on the web forever. Okay? Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, but you know what I'm saying. So make sure you explain why you do things as a family. Is that, and that just seems kind of obvious, and yet we don't do it. Like if you ask if you ask your kid, why do we celebrate Easter? And they say, to find Easter eggs where the Easter bunny left them. The Easter bunny? Really? What is Easter? Do you even know why it's called Easter? I say it every single year, but I'll, I'll say that Easter. Maybe you should talk to your kids about resurrection from the dead. <laughs> well, I can't talk to my kids about that. What are you talking about? You can't talk to kids about that. Yes, you can. Jesus rose from the dead. He had victory over death on the cross. Victory. He took the punishment for our sins and then didn't stay dead. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. Have that conversation. If you want to hide Easter eggs, fine. At least explain why you're doing it. Right? Okay, you're with me. So we have all these holidays that we celebrate, right? Veterans Day is a holiday. You know how many people don't know the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day? Like, why do we not know the difference? Like, Veterans Day, you're celebrating those who have served in the military. Memorial Day, you're, you're, you're celebrating those who have given their life in service to this country. Those are two different things. Most people don't know. Although I still haven't figured out Labor Day. That's a whole other thing. Why do you get that like we're celebrating later by now? Like I don't so it it just there, there are all these holidays we have, right? We've got Thanksgiving, we've got Christmas, Easter, Memorial Day, Independence Day. Like we've got all these holidays. Are we explaining them? Why do we do what we do as a church? Now that's a question worth asking. And the same question needs to be asked in families, of course, with regularity. Why are you doing what you're doing as a family? Why do you celebrate Christmas the way you do? And as we get into the Christmas season, I want you to think about that. Numerous sermons that have been leading up to Christmas in the past that I have given have gone something like this. Explain to your kids why you're celebrating Christmas the way you're doing it. Right? Why are you having oyster stew? I think it's because you've got a mental problem. <laughs> it doesn't taste good. Like, what are you doing? Like, what's the significance here? Are you searching for a pearl of great value? At least bring it back to Jesus. Like, do something, because it's nasty. And it smells up the whole house, and then you can't enjoy the actual food. Like, what's wrong with you? And that's a problem in our family. <laughs> so, I just wanted to, like, there's got to be reasons why you do the things that you do. Right? Today is fall in-gathering. And if I asked even the long-time people of this church, what is fall in-gathering, my guess would be, it's the day we take the extra offering and we eat together. That's not why. Because the church, we're not, we're not running on money, we're running on the power of the Holy Spirit. The money is about your heart being right with God. Now, I would like to say, every time we receive our tithes and offerings, I say that same thing. Don't I? Our church doesn't need your money. Right? We have the Creator God, who creates from nothing as our power source. We don't need the money. And yet, we receive offerings. It always makes you wonder, doesn't it? And then there people think, well, the ch churches just ask for money all the time. Well, why, 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 then, do we celebrate all in gathering? I want to try to answer that today. Okay? Will you try to hang with me? Will you try? Okay, here we go. 
Everything we do in this church, and I would like to say everything that I do as a pastor, everything I do as a father, I would like to say, has God at the center. And part of what we do as this church, I want to say, is because it's biblical. We believe that the Bible is, it gives us what we need for life and for salvation and for living a life to the full. Therefore, if anything that we do in this church is not centered on the Bible, somebody should raise their hand and say, why are we doing that? Right? I don't think we should do that. That's worth saying. Part of what we do as a board of trustees is try to keep things on course in that way. Right? Now, is fall in gathering biblical? Is that an okay question to ask? I better hope it is. Okay, so I'm going to give you the short answer and then the long answer. Okay? Here's the short answer. Is falling, gathering, celebration biblical? Yes. yes. That, that, that's the short answer. You ready for the long one? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Here we go. Yes. The long answer is yes, but I don't think we've ever really explored it. For whatever reason that only the Lord probably knows, he told me today's the day. So here we go. The long answer. Two. What is small in gathering and is it biblical? The long answer starts with some words I'm going to string together. You ready? Here we go. Tradition. saying we have a circadian rhythm, don't we? Yes, we do. There's a rhythm, a rhythm to sleeping and being awake. And you know when your rhythm is off, don't you? We have rhythms all over our lives. I, I hope that coming here on Sunday and being part of this moment is part of the rhythm of your life. Right? I hope, I hope even more. I'm so excited about the rhythm that is just beginning to form in the discipleship anthem. Right? This, this rhythm of being in the Word daily with God and hearing from God because you're actually wanting to hear from God. Taking unhurried time to listen to God. And then the rhythm of meeting together once a week in your discipleship band. That's a rhythm that I want to develop. I think it's an important rhythm. The rhythm of school. The rhythm of the seasons. The rhythm of the holidays of our life. Even the rhythm of midterm elections. Like, there's a rhythm. There's a pattern. That, that feeling you get when you know it's football hitting weather. That feeling that you get if you play football. You know that crack in the, in the air. That feeling you get where it's like, it's time to go hit somebody in football. <laughs> like, like, there's something about that. If you've played football, you know what I'm talking about. There's a rhythm to life. Even the rhythm of summer compared to the rhythm of fall. And how, how like, when fall comes, like, we re-engage somehow. Especially in Minnesota, there's a rhythm. Fall in gathering, to start off with, is about that rhythm. I want to explain it. You may have heard that humans are creatures of habit. I, I tend to agree with that. I think we are creatures of habit. And by the way, the kind of habits we have, tell us a lot about the kind of person that we are. Ooh, could I say that one again? 
The kind of habits we have tell us a whole lot about the kind of person that we are. In the Old Testament, there was a covenant that God made with Israel. What is a covenant? Anybody that was in my release time class last year or this year want to tell me what a covenant is? It is a contract. Where's Brody? He's probably a super promise. Who said that? Right here. Very good. There's Brody. <laughs> super promise. By the way, Brody came up with that term last year in release time. That's Brody. Super promise. That is what a covenant is. In sixth grade range. One of the ways that God reminded his people of their super promise obligations. Are you ready for this? Was to set up a series of traditions that the Israelites were supposed to follow. The traditions of the Old Testament were a God-ordained rhythm to keep people focused on the covenant promises that they had made to him. Now, in the Old Testament they're called festivals, feasts. We have another word for them today, because we don't call them feasts today. We call them holidays. But the Old Testament way of talking about holidays was a feast. These special feasts were designed to be designated times throughout the year in which the nation as a whole was reminded of God's covenant with them. This is the nation of Israel. I'm talking about the Old Testament. So the feasts that God set up were reminders of God's covenant with them, and they were placed in such a way that it was a rhythm of life. <clears throat> the feasts were a rhythm of life that kept the people always thinking in their minds and their hearts, oh yeah, God's covenant is part of who I am. In fact, it, it is my identity. And by the way, we do this today, right? What do you think Christmas is? What's the Christmas season? Right? It's a, it's a reminder of the birth of Christ. What is Easter? Right? It's a reminder of the cross and about the resurrection, about new life in Christ, a celebration of Jesus' defeat of death, a celebration of the fact that Jesus took the punishment for our sin. In the Old Testament, God commanded that the Israelites observed seven special feasts or festivals or holidays Whatever word you need to get it in your brain, that's what these are. They are holidays. Now before I explain these seven to you, is that going to be boring? Yeah, I'm totally going to be in Leviticus here for a little while. Yeah. Right? I need to remind you of something, okay? These commands of God that I'm about to explain to you are part of the Old Testament. What's another word for testament? Covenant. What's another word for covenant? Contract. What's another word for that? Super promise. Okay? Old Testament, you could say, is the old super promise. <coughs> new Testament is the new super promise. Everybody got that? I am now going to be telling you about some old super promise stuff. Old covenant commands of God. We are citizens of the New Testament, the New Covenant. So we are under a new covenant instituted by Jesus Christ. And in this new covenant, much of the old covenant has been fulfilled. Therefore, much of the old covenant does not apply to us in the same way that it applied to the ancient Israelites. Now this sometimes causes confusion among Christians. And Jesus himself, by the way, addressed this issue in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it's the next section we're going to learn about next week. That should be fun. The point I'm making is this. I am not explaining these feasts with the expectation that you are supposed to start following them as a command of God. Okay? However, at one time in human history, God did command these feasts to be followed by the nation of Israel. So at the very least, 
it is helpful to us to understand why God commanded the ancient Israelites to follow these feasts. Is everybody with me? Great. Okay. By the way, all of that last paragraph I just said there, it can be summed up in one New Testament passage. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. This is Paul in the New Testament saying, you don't have to follow these feasts anymore. Did you get that? That's Paul saying that in the New Testament. Christians under the New Covenant don't have to follow the Old Covenant feasts. Okay. Now, the Jewish faith, which is called Judaism, does not follow our calendar. The Jewish calendar actually was in use long before our calendar. We follow the Julian calendar, which came from the Roman Empire. The Jewish calendar, thousands of years before our calendar. And the Jewish calendar follows the lunar calendar, so it follows the moon, whereas our calendar follows the sun. So what that means is, the months don't match. Now, I want to show you a picture. That is the feast calendar of holy days of the Jewish faith. So you see there, number one, it says uh, Nissan, not the, not the car maker from Japan, okay, that has two S's. Uh, Nissan, that is the first month of the Jewish year. Now you can see down below there, Nissan happens between March and April. Now here's the thing, it changes because the lunar calendar is different than the solar calendar, so it, it fluctuates. By the way, that's the reason why Easter changes every year. Because Easter is based upon the Jewish holiday of Passover, because Jesus was sacrificed during Passover. Therefore, Easter is connected to Passover, but Passover is a Jewish holiday, and that date changes every year compared to our calendar, because it's on the lunar calendar, not the solar one. That's why Easter changes every year. Woo! We're having fun! Alright, I want you to notice something about this right now. You see those little arrows? The first Jewish holiday on the Jewish calendar, the first feast, is Passover. Pesach, that's how you pronounce it in Hebrew. That happens on the 15th of Nisan. So there you go, that's the first feast of the seven. The second happens the next day, it starts, and it's a seven-day feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It starts on Nisan 16. I'm probably pronouncing Nisan wrong. I'm sorry. Then you've got the first fruits that happens. Now the first fruits follows right after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first fruits is an interesting holiday. The very first of the grain harvest is supposed to be given to the priest, and the priest waves it in front of the Lord at the altar in the tabernacle, or actually the altar of the temple in the temple times. The wave offering is the first fruits of the grain offering as a way for Israel to say we are trusting our harvest in the Lord. See that? It's a wave offering. You wave it in front, of the off, in front of the altar. Now notice, all three of those feasts happen right after each other. They're all clumped together right there in the middle of Nisan. Now, then you've got um, 50 days later is the Feast of Weeks. We also call that the Feast of Pentecost. The reason it's called Pentecost is because it's 50 days later. Pentecost, the 50-day celebration. So, Pentecost is not actually a Christian holiday, it's a Jewish holiday. But just like Pesach, just like Passover, Jesus gave a new meaning to Passover in his death and resurrection. Right? And remember, Passover was an exodus. You put blood on the door, and then the death angel passes over. Remember, that was in Egypt. Right? Jesus is now the Passover lamb. So he gave a new meaning to that Jewish holiday, that Jewish feast. In the same way, Pentecost. A new meaning was given to Pentecost, wasn't it? Because it was at Pentecost, Acts chapter 1 and 2, where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples, and they spoke in different languages, 
so that people could hear the gospel. And for the first time, the church became empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is Pentecost. But Pentecost is actually a Jewish holiday, 50 days after <coughs> Passover. Now look, then a bunch of months pass. On the first day of Tishri, there's the trumpets. Now you've heard of this Hebrew word before if you've listened to the news. Trumpets is Rosh Hashanah. Have you heard of Jews celebrating Rosh Hashanah? That's a word you've likely heard before if you've been paying attention to the news uh, during this time period. Now look, Rosh Hashanah starts the first day of Tishri, and Tishri is September and October. See that? So trumpets is a one-day event. I mean, they literally blow trumpets. Like, that's the deal. So they blow trumpets, and it's like it signifies that this new season of holidays begins. So notice... Passover unleavened bread first fruits. See that? And that's in March and April. Now notice that Trumpets, Day of Atonement, which you'll recognize as Yom Kippur. You've heard that Hebrew term before. Yom Kippur happens the day after Trumpets, and then you've got Tabernacles, um, which is called Sukkot. You may have heard that one as well. That's the Hebrew word. So you've got Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles. The Day of Atonement, I've said before, is the day when the high priest, the one day of the year, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. And we have anecdotal evidence that the other priests tied a rope around his foot in case he died while in the Holy of Holies so they could drag him out because if they went in, God would kill them. Okay? So that's a fun little fact about Yom Kippur. Now there is no temple today because the temple that they used to do the Day of Atonement in was destroyed in 70 AD. So it's been gone for almost 2,000 years. But they still celebrate, Jews today still celebrate Yom Kippur. After the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, there's a seven-day feast of tabernacles. Tabernacles is a weird word. So a tabernacle means a temporary structure. That's what the word tabernacle means. In the Bible, you'll also see this feast called the Feast of Booths. Okay? A booth, think about what a booth is at the fair. It's a temporary place that they put up so you can buy sugar donuts. Right? The booth at the fair is only when the fair is going on, and it's, they're good sugar donuts, but when the fair is not going on, there's no booth there. Right? So think about a booth like that. It's a fair booth. It is a temporary shelter. Jews even today still celebrate tabernacles. At the time of the Old and New Testament, Jews celebrated all of these feast days. Tabernacles, they literally built structures out of branches and lived in them for seven days. They still do today. Jews today still build temporary shelters. A lot Jews, a lot of times, like in Minnesota, there's many Jews in Minnesota, most of them near the Twin Cities, they will build a temporary structure inside their house. And for the week, they will sleep inside the temporary structure. Now, that's weird, right? Why would they do that? Well, that's what I'm going to explain to you. And at this point, you're wondering, what am I doing here? That could be in a deer stand. Okay, let me get to the point. Sorry. Tabernacles was about remembrance of the 40 years in the desert that God provided for the Israelites, provided all their needs. They lived in temporary structures, also called tents. Right? They lived in temporary structures and they moved around the wilderness for 40 years. And in that 40 years, that's when God provided manna. God provided quail. God provided all of the needs for these people while they lived in the middle of the desert. That many people in the desert should have died. There's not enough food in the desert for them to survive. It was only by the, and here's the word, all of this whole disastrous sermon has led to this one word. Okay? Provision. God provided for the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness. And so even today, 
Jews today, when they build their tabernacle, they are being reminded that God provided for the Jewish nation as they wandered in the wilderness for those 40 years. It's all about God's provision. Now, look at the calendar. You've got three of the seven feasts happening in March and April. Another three of the seven feasts happening in September and October. What happens, this is not your question, in March and April? Andrew Shook. What happens in March and April? Well, probably May as well. But here. Planted. Andrew, what happens in September and October? Harvest. The Jewish feasts of the nation of Israel were completely tied to agriculture. Think about it. The wave offering. The first fruits of the grain offering as a way of saying, and we trust in the Lord for the rest of the harvest. We give to the Lord the first of the harvest, and we trust in the Lord for the rest. And then at harvest... At harvest, you make atonement for sin because you recognize you can't do it by yourself. And then you celebrate for seven days in tabernacles because you remember the Israelites could not survive by themselves in the desert. They had to rely on God for their provision. And now look, those three happened during harvest. What is harvest about? Harvest is about gathering in the provision of the Lord. It was the Lord who made those crops grow. It was the Lord that we trusted. It was the Lord whom we waved that first sheaf of grain in front of, asking that he would bless. And now during the harvest, it is the Lord whom we thank as the true provider of that harvest. It's all connected to the reminder that we are in covenant with God and He provides our needs. The entire rhythm of the Jewish life under the Old Covenant was a rhythm of recognizing God's provision. The complete opposite of being self-sustaining. The complete opposite of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. The complete opposite of thinking, I did this in my own power. The complete opposite of thinking that all that I have is because of my hard work. The very rhythm of the Jewish life under the Old Covenant was a rhythm that recognized God's provision in every aspect of life. Completely opposite of us. Put that picture back up there. Sorry. Okay, I'm going to do a pause in the sermon. So that was really good, but now we need to pause. Because I'm going to insert a fun fact. Yay! Okay. There's one more Hanukkah. See right there? Hanukkah happens in the ninth month. Of course, it happens in. November or December. And you always thought Hanukkah was just the Jews trying to come up with a holiday to make Christmas not something that their kids wanted to do. Okay? It turns out Hanukkah predates Jesus, but it's not in the Old Testament. Hanukkah is, however, in the New Testament. Look at John chapter 10, verse 22. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. The Feast of Dedication that was at winter. And by, go back to the other picture, Heidi. Notice the only feast that's in winter is Hanukkah. See that? Hanukkah is the celebration of the rededication of the temple after it was spoiled by Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 AD. Yes, the time between the Old and New Testament. That's why it's not in the Old Testament. Malachi ends at 400 B.C., Hanukkah is a celebration of something that happened during the time between the Testaments. 
When the Jews reconsecrated, rededicated the temple, and they, they had oil to light the menorah, but they didn't have enough oil to keep the menorah lit. And the, the law says that the menorah must always be lit. So they didn't know what to do because they didn't have enough oil. And even though there wasn't enough oil, the candle did not go out. A miracle of the Lord. In the same way that God provided oil to the widow of Zarephath at the time of Elijah and Elisha, God provided oil for the menorah of the temple when they rededicated it, and the flame never went out. That is Hanukkah. But it's not one of the seven feasts of the Old Testament because it didn't happen during the Old Testament time. But that's why Jews today still celebrate Hanukkah. Okay, that was my fun fact. Some of you heard that before, but it's fun to say it again. So, I want you to notice about the feasts, that they were all about provision. They were all about spring. They were all about harvest, planting and harvest. Now, in the Bible this is confusing because oftentimes there are different names in the Bible for these feasts. Look at Exodus chapter 23, verse 16. Celebrate the feast of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. The feast of harvest is another way of saying the feast of weeks, the feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Ingathering is another way of saying the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, in Exodus 34, 22, celebrate the Feast of Weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest, the wave offering of the wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at the turn of the year. Our ingathering celebration is the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles is the reminder that it is God who has provided to the Israelites when they were in the desert. It is God who has provided the harvest. It is in God whom we always recognize as our provider. I think it's helpful just to look at Leviticus 23. And just, I just want to read it because I want you to understand when we talk about in gathering in this church, this is what we're talking about. Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 43. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present offerings made to the Lord by fire, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. It is the closing assembly. Do no regular work. These are the Lord's appointed feasts which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing offerings made to the Lord by fire, the burnt offerings and the grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbaths, in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is the day of rest, and the eighth day also is the day of rest. On the first day you are to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fronds, leafy branches and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. There it is. Tabernacles. Booths. God's provision at harvest. Why do we do falling down as a church? Because we need the rhythm of provision. The reminder 
that it is God who provides, not the strength of our hands, not our own ingenuity, not even the politicians that we elect. It is God who is the provider. God provided for the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. And by the way, this is not required of the Lord. But if you want to create a temporary shelter and live in it, oh wait, that's deer hunting. The deer hunters didn't even know. They were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. They just had to stay in there for seven days. Isn't that fun? If you want to do the Feast of Tabernacles, it's not wrong. It's not required. Right? You see this? Old covenant. But it could still be good as a way for reminding your own children. The Israelites were provided by God in the desert for 40 years. And now we're going to, you could make it look like a fort in your living room where everybody sleeps in sleeping bags for seven days. And that would be okay. That would be in line with what God is trying to do as he explains the rhythm of our life of provision from the Lord. God provides the harvest. The key word, if you remember nothing else from this long, boring sermon, the key word is provision. It is God who is our provider. It is God who provides. Why do we do a fallen gathering law? Because we need the rhythm of reminder that what we have is God's. That the harvest we've just gathered together was because of God. We do a full in gathering offering as a way of remembering it's all God's. It's about our heart. Okay. Now we know. Bill, would you come up? And ushers, would you please... Wait upon us at this time as we are going to receive the offering of ingathering, the offering of harvest, the offering of tabernacles, the offering that reminds us that all that we have is from God, that the harvest is from God. If you haven't been led by the Lord to give at this time, that's okay. This is an offering, an offering of reminder. God's provision. I'm going to pray now, and as you guys lead us, at the end, I'm going to pray a blessing upon our time together at the meal. I'm going to do that now, so as soon as you're done, we are simply dismissed. Would you pray with me? Ushers, please come forward as I pray. Lord God, we, as a church, need to be reminded about the rhythm of provision. This offering to you, Lord, is an offering about precisely that. God, may we be reminded of your faithfulness to the Israelites in the desert. May we be reminded of your faithfulness to harvest. God, it's about you. We love you, Lord, and now as we give, may we give with a smile. Amen. And one more thing, Lord. Thanks for the food. Bless the fellowship. Amen. Our song is Come Ye Thankful People Come. Page 41 in our hymnals. Come ye thankful people come.